everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 43 of the show, where we are going to finish out 1963 with the last three comics for our December coverage, which were all released on December 9th, 1963. And um, there, there are some doozies in this one. Um, but before we do that, I just want to kind of throw out there, hey, Mike, you yeah. know how a year ago I wasn't doing any podcasting? Mm-hmm. So now I'm doing three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So just to throw this out there, um, it's ha- been happening for about a month now, uh, if all goes according to plan. Every Saturday, there is an episode dropping where my son and I, my young son and I, are doing a commentary podcast on the Japanese superhero show Super Sentai. Um, where the first uh, incarnation of that series has been fan sub, you know, or fans who can speak Japanese and translate them to English, put subtitles on all the episodes, and you can download them. Um, and then listen to our commentary podcast over the episode. And that is the first version of Super Sentai, which is Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger. So we're doing podcast commentaries about that. Our show is called Super Silly Sentai. And you can find it at johnreadscomics.com. And hopefully between now when I'm recording and now when you're listening to it, I will have figured out all the uh, RSS feeds and website and everything else to make it findable in your podcast stuff as well. So, yes, Super Silly Sentai at johnreadscomics.com if you like the um, the Japanese show that is the basis for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That's what we're doing. So in the first season, is the Red Ranger still the coolest? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. He's still the coolest. Okay. Is he just always the leader, pretty much? Uh, it's Yeah, it's the standard. The, the red is always the leader. They do other stuff with other colors, but I think every year red is the leader. Yeah, except for that one green time. Maybe that was just in America, though. That was just in America. In the, uh, in the Japanese version, he was the red's younger brother, or older brother, and uh, did wow. not lead the team. Oh, interesting. Yes. Speaking of red Have you read blue. some comics? Or, yeah, or that. Red, <laughs> some red and blue superhero comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do Superman. We are kicking off tonight with John's favorite character of all time. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 10. So we've done 10 issues now. Wow. That's right. And, and to celebrate the 10th issue, he's going to fight his most famous villains ever, the Enforcers. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> written by... Written by Stan Lee, art by Steve Ditko. Letters. No, 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 no. You have to read the credits because they're different now. Oh. All right. Let me find that. Written by Smiling Stan Lee, illustrated by Swingin' Steve Ditko, and lettered by Sparklin' Sam Rosen. I wonder if those names are just going to stick and they'll do that every time, or is he going to come up with new adjectives every single time? Well, he did new adjectives for the last two that we've done. So I know that Smiling Stan is common and Swinging Steve is common. So maybe those will kind of stick. Oh. So how, since I'm here anyway, I'll read it. How can one lone crime fighter, though possessing the power of countless spiders, hope to defeat the Enforcers? And the Enforcers, I'm just going to start, except I want to say, since it's the beginning of our new episode, that we are in December 9th, on December 9th, 1963. Yep. Okay. So these last three are the last of December. And... 
We're starting off with a guy named The Big Man. He's basically just like a gangster-looking dude with a fedora, except for his mask, he wears a face. You know, like a mask that looks like a face, and it's white, and no one knows who he really is. And he's checking his watch, and he's, like, coordinated this thing where, like, one of his guys robbed something, and the guy is, like, standing on the edge of a flagpole, and the police are in the window of the building going, come on back, there's nowhere you can go. And... I guess Big Man just knows that Spider-Man swings through this part of town every day, and he's got this all worked out to where Spider-Man sees the dude on the flagpole with the money, and he goes to catch him, but then, yoink, the guy gets pulled away because secretly hiding in a cloud was a helicopter that had, like, a rope attached to the guy um, that was, like, invisible, I guess. And so Spider-Man... Says, well, that's just a stupid helicopter. I can beat a helicopter. So he swings off the flagpole and goes flying up there. And the helicopter shoots him with gas. And yeah, Spider-Man looks like a fool. And the whole New York town sees it. And now Big Man is a big man. Because he just made Spider-Man look like an idiot. So now there's this Goldfinger scene where like all these other big people, you know, are invited to come work for him. And they're all, why should we work for you? And he's like, well, let me introduce you to Spider-Man's greatest villains, the Enforcers. First... There's Fancy Dan, and Fancy Dan's like this really, really tiny guy, but he's really good at martial arts, and he beats up like 12 of the mobster guys that are there. And then there's the Ox, and the Ox is like this really big dude that kind of looks like he's out of a comic strip, like a like a, a real comic strip, not a comic book, because he doesn't have eyes or anything, and he eats the apple. Um, and he's really big, because he's called the Ox, and he punches like once, and five guys fall down. And then lastly, there's a cowboy-looking dude with a rope, and his name's Montana, and he lassos people. So Big Man is going to take over the town with these three dudes. Um, then what do we got? We got Aunt May still recovering from her surgery. She needs a blood transfusion. Peter's a little worried about that because, you know, it's his is radioactive. But unfortunately, he's standing around like Liz and Flash when the doctor asks him. So they're like kind of putting him on the spot to donate because <laughs> he doesn't really want to. And they're like, what's the matter? You hate your aunt or something? Oh, shucks. Okay, I better. Anyway, they test his blood and I guess it's normal and... The only downside is that now he's lost some radioactive blood because they took it out of him. So he's feeling weaker and tired. Um, during all this, I guess for weeks or something, Big Man and his mobsters pretty much take over New York. I guess there's no kingpin yet. Or he is the kingpin now. Um, I don't remember. At some point, well, because he's J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. J. Jonah Jameson decides that the Big Man is Spider-Man. And he also tells his employee whose name I can't remember. It's like Wimpy Wimpersome or something like that. <laughs> Frederick Foswell. Frederick Foswell to just write that. And the guy's like, um, but I don't have any facts in this newspaper. And by the way, last time you did that about Electro, remember how bad that went for you? Shut up and do it because I'm a caricature. So he does it. Um, meanwhile, Betty is going home and she is pointed out to the enforcers by some guy and the enforcers are like hey you owe us money don't you and they're gonna start like strong arming her when peter shows up to pick her up i guess and he kind of gets in it with them but he has to pretend he's puny peter parker so the ox kind of pushes him around and stuff betty freaks out she's like peter don't attack them you'll die he's all mad and asking like why do you why are they want you and she's like no i can't tell him or he'll like get involved so now the two of them are fighting again and not talking to each other because they didn't learn anything from last issue and Spider-Man, or Peter Parker decides to turn Spider-Man real quick, and he goes 
catches the guy, finds out about the enforcers, finds their lair, attacks them, does a pretty good job of fighting them. But again, unfortunately, the blood transfusion makes him tired. So he finally, like, he just can't take on the ox long enough, I guess. So he finally, uh, like, goes and hides. And as he's hiding, he sees J. Jonah Jameson walking away. So he starts thinking, maybe J. Jonah Jameson's big man because nobody knows who big man is. So we got Jameson thinking Spider-Man is big man. And we got Spider-Man thinking Jameson is big man. Peter Parker tries to call Betty again. She answers but won't tell him anything. She then apparently quits or leaves and doesn't tell him that because he goes to go see her at work the next day and she's not there. So he freaks out. He decides, you know what, I got to take care of this big man business because something's going on with Betty. I got to save Betty. So I have an idea. As Peter Parker, I'm going to pretend that I discovered big man's identity. So he posts that in like the school paper or something. That same old guy who tattled on Betty to the enforcers now tattles on big man, tattles on uh, 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 Peter Parker to big man. Is that his name, big man? Did I get that wrong already? No, it's Big Man. Okay. Uh, Big Man has Peter Parker picked. Yeah, okay. Peter Parker has Big Man uh, picked up. They throw him in like this jail and tell him to wait. But of course, he's Spider-Man. So he just takes his clothes off and becomes Spider-Man and easily jumps through like the skylight. And then he's like, I'm just going to take pictures. It's like he finds this warehouse full of every criminal in New York, every non-superpowered criminal in New York. And he's like, well, that's a lot of people. And also, I'm still tired. So I'm just going to take some pictures. But unfortunately, he ignores his spider sense and someone catches him and pushes him into all those people. And then there's like this really awesome 16 page fight of Spider-Man fighting like 500 people, including the enforcers. Um, Finally, though, he to get out of it because, you know, he can't win, I guess. He puts his spider light onto one of his little belt thingies or something or his web shooter or something and throws it. And it sticks on a building and kind of catches the police's attention. And they all show up and arrest the warehouse. Big Man gets away, though. And so Spider-Man's like, you know what? That's it. I'm convinced Big Man is J. Jonah Jameson. I never thought I knew he was a jerk, but, you know, I never thought he'd be like this. I'm going to go down there, give him a piece of my mind. And when he shows up, he's looking through the window, thinking about how he's going to nab him. When Wimpy Wimperson, the writer, comes in. And the police show up and said, yeah, we've been tracking you since the warehouse and you're really big man. And everybody's like, what? Foswell, you're a big man. I can't believe it. And both Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson are shocked. Um, Then we have this moment after everybody leaves uh, Jameson's office where he actually talks about like a soliloquy, I guess, to himself about why he really hates Spider-Man. And he really hates Spider-Man because... He just can't understand a person who would do good things just for the sake of doing good things. He's never been like that. He's always been about money um, and being successful. So there can't be someone in this world who's like Spider-Man for that reason. So if J. Jonah Jameson can't be as good as Spider-Man, then he's going to tear Spider-Man down to be as bad as J. Jonah Jameson. So that's the big mystery of why J.J. hates Spider-Man. Meanwhile, we cut back to... Uh, Spider-Man himself and he's upset about Betty and then we cut to Betty crying and she's upset about Peter and that's the end. This is a really full busy issue. (sighs) I'm tired. I said big man like 68 times to where I wasn't sure if it was right anymore. (laughs) The word has lost all meaning. (laughs) Yeah, it's like big man, big man. That doesn't even sound right. Tartlets. Big man? Tartlets. Tartlets. Um, okay, so yeah, this is this is a really 
iconic issue for the early Ditko run. It's kind of a milestone issue because you're right. It's not the Kingpin, but it's like a precursor to the Kingpin. Yeah, I, I saw this cover and thought, bummer, like this is just going to be another big robot brain issue. Mm-hmm. It was pretty good, I thought, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's uh, um, the the big man has such a cool look and he mm-hmm. does the same thing that Ditko does with masks. His mask doesn't emote. It never moves. Mm-hmm. It's his face the entire time. And I was starting to think that it'd be kind of weird to like go into a, a, a room with a metal face mask on and be like, hey, I'm awesome. Do what I say. Um, we but, should you know, try it. Yeah, I should try it. But it's comics, so also the the opening is really high energy with the with the heist and Spider Man trying to catch the guy and it gets all the way in a um um helicopter and the blood yeah, transfusion the, is really important. That, that bit like kinda just was like I guess the reason he did that was to make Spider Man look like an idiot, right? I mean that was that the point? Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise it's like if you know Spider Man comes by here every day, why not plan the robbery around that? But instead right. he planned it to to like you know, have Spider-Man see it. So I guess that was just to make him look like a fool. Which does feed into the suspicion of J. Jonah Jameson being the big guy because his first movie oh. was to humiliate Spider-Man. Good point. Yeah. Um, it's another big mystery and uh, it's a precursor to another mystery identity that, that Ditko's going to do, which ultimately becomes like a thing in Spider-Man comics is mystery villains. Um, there's just so many important things in this. So the transfusion you were saying before I cut you off, that's kind of a big one. Um, I'm surprised that yeah, they Yeah, just... because it feeds into a couple of plot lines that come down the road. Like she becomes Ant Spider or what? <laughs> you would think, right? Yeah. I'm amazed that they just were like fine with him giving his blood out. I think that's actually a what if comic. I think there is a what if comic that follows up on this where Ant may get spider powers. That's what they do now. Yeah, with like Spider Island and the, all the different spider stuff going on. Yeah, they would. Yeah, or anytime Bruce Banner gives his blood to his cousin, they always turn to a Hulk, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like the blood is always infected and radioactive and contagious or something. Maybe they were trying to be anti-Superman here, because it's definitely a Superman plot that had been done by this point, where Superman gives a blood transfusion and the person gets powers. Mm-hmm. That happened to Lois Lane at least once. I'm sure it happened to somebody some way another a second time. But I remember reading Superman giving Lois Lane a blood transfusion and her getting superpowers. Here, he gives Aunt May a blood transfusion. She's fine. But they will follow up on this in a not-so-fine um, not turn of events for Aunt May. Yeah. And he's not fine. So that was interesting, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, like, which is what happens when you give blood. I mean, he yeah. needs to go home and have some steak. But he's not fine for weeks, it seems like. Because he's lost his radioactive blood or some of it until it repopulates i guess yeah i'm not sure exactly how long it takes to repopulate your spider blood yeah it's true there's not a lot of science on that right now um the abbots are the next door family that may goes traveling with we can Mm -hmm. only assume that they're on the other side and the watsons are on the other side of the house it's fun how old people always have friends isn't it right right i have no idea who i'd go to florida with right now well i know you but you're already there yeah just fly here and stay with us yeah, but I, I just like my grandparents always had a bunch of friends all the time too. It's interesting. We don't really all do that anymore, maybe because of the internet, I guess. Yeah, I don't have any friends that like live in my area. So yeah, like when you get sick, who's going to take you to Florida? Right. Anyway. Not my wife. She's busy. <laughs> yeah. How do you uh, How do you like the enforcers? You seem less than enthused. Uh, they're okay. They didn't really matter that much. It was all more about Big Man. 
Um, in fact, like the big fight at the end, he's fighting lots of people, not just the enforcers. So uh-huh. they're okay. I thought it was neat that I liked the first fight the best because it was just the three of them. And I liked how it pretty much was nothing to even a, a weak Spider-Man to take these guys on. Right. You know, like. Fancy Dan is so fast. Yeah, but I'm Spider-Man. The ox is so strong. Yeah, but I'm Spider-Man. I have a rope. Yeah, but I'm Spider-Man. And pretty much destroyed them. I think it's the combination of the three of them together that do well with him. And Ditko does uses them a few times. But after he leaves, it takes a long time before they get any play again. With the exception of the ox. We will see the ox around if we if we last that long. I figured the ox was just like a normal big tough guy, but he then later lifts like the back of a truck somewhere or a car or something. So he's more than just a regular guy, I guess. Yeah, he 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 really presses a lot of, of pounds with the weights in the room and stuff. I don't I don't exercise. <laughs> um, okay, so you mentioned how Jonah Jameson didn't learn anything from last issue. We are taking the behavior from last issue to uh-huh. the next level. Because last issue, Spider-Man was Electro, and now Spider-Man is a crime boss who is just spreading rumors about the big man to throw people off the scent. And in both cases, he's just writing this based on nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least last issue, it was a question in his mind, what if they're the same person? Because he saw Electro climbing a wall. And then Peter Parker brought him proof, and he's like, oh, I was right. And then whenever he found out he was wrong... He blamed Peter for giving him false evidence. This is just, you know what? Spider-Man's a big man. That's just that's just the way it is. But it does suggest that, you know, Wimpy Wimperson tells him, like, uh, people will lose confidence in the paper if you keep up with this. Yeah. So I've had that question. Like, does he have a legit paper or does he have a gossip rag? And if, if this guy thinks that they have confidence in his paper at one point, then sounds like he's just flushing it all away now that – Spider-Man's around. It could be one of those things for the flow of the story that works better as a story mechanic than as an actual character piece. Because if we're meant to believe that Jameson might be the big man, then making up stories about Spider-Man being the big man could be throwing them off a scent. Mm, that's true. But, it but he did it, it with really Electro, too. Character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not a yeah. good turn for for Jonah because he just he's he is as you said descending into a caricature. So of course you know when they invent, when they introduce this guy, it reminded me of a uh, the FF Hulk crossover where there's a guy working on the military base we've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. So he's the bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it had to be this guy. There is no other option. Unfortunately, it is it is Frederick Foswell. He he is the only other character it could be besides the yeah. ones we know. Or right. Betty. That's it. Betty yeah. could be the big man. Well, then the enforcers harass her. So that's sort of, you know, mm. if you even suspected she might be, that kind of writes her off. Man. So, okay. First, Betty has a problem with Peter risking his life because she knew, well, spoilers. Apparently, that's not the reason. But it's inferred that the reason is she knows someone who nearly died or almost died or maybe died. Yeah. Um, and someone who you enjoyed danger. she owes like money. To the mob. To the mob. So it's like this This Betty is maybe not a great a girlfriend as we were thinking for old Pete. Yeah. Something about and knowing someone who enjoyed Dager like Peter does had to do with her dropping out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, she does know somebody who, who seems to have a dangerous life. That is going to get a playoff pretty soon. It just is not going to have any connection to her dropping out of high school that I remember. Now, why does she borrow money from the loan shark again? I can't even remember. 
Does it say? We don't get a why in this. Okay. Uh, no it why. is going to tie into something in issue 11. Let's hope it's for pure reasons, but who knows? Maybe she's got a gambling problem or something. Right. I like that this whole issue is her freaking out that Peter is going to get involved. And I guess, like, now that you say that out loud, it makes sense because it's carrying over from her worrying about him risking his life um, with Electro, right? Mm-hmm. With his with his profession. So now she's worried he's going to, excuse me, risk his life because he's mad at the, at the enforcers. But at the same time, you got to wonder, like, what does she think he's going to do? And then what is her reaction? She's going to quit her job and leave town and not to get away from the mob, but to keep her boyfriend safe from the mob. That's her motivation. Yeah, I didn't get that part because, like, Peter has no ability to take on the enforcers. So it's not really that much of a danger as long right. as they're not hanging around. Anyway. So some of her some of her emotional instability, maybe, that is kind of a thing with Betty is starting to come out in this. Like, she's not making good choices. I do like this panel in the middle on eight where she says she's, she's thinking, I can't do it. I can't let the dearest, most wonderful boy I've ever known get mixed up with the enforcers because of me. And he's thinking, I must have been wrong about her. She can't care for me if she won't confide in me. That's yes. just so comic book. That is so comic book. And that is the Peter Betty dynamic that it, that now that their relationship has taken a few issues to sort of organically find itself. Now we're getting into the Peter Betty dynamic mm-hmm. where they're both thinking the wrong thing at the right. same time. Right. And if yeah. they would just turn their thought balloons into speech <laughs> balloons, it would work out a whole lot better for everyone involved, which is what happened at the end of last issue. They had a misunderstanding and they walked and they talked it out. Yeah. It was so great to see because I knew when we read that last issue, that's like the last time that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to be healthy anymore. That's a good t-shirt. Turn your thought balloons into speech balloons. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, Page nine. Capturing the guy and taking him to a fake spider lair is fantastic. So do you think he set that up like five months ago and just hasn't had the opportunity to use it? He says – it was a dummy made of leftover webbing. I don't know because it's theoretically his webbing dissolves after a while. So he webbed this guy's face and then like the guy hears as he's sawing the plywood and and making the spider and the guy's like, what's going on around me? And why why are there mice? I don't know. Yeah, and it's not it's not just web. There's like wood and stuff supporting this frame of a spider. So he built it. But those first couple panels are very Spider-Man does horror movie type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. Um, the dynamics and the fights in this issue are amazing. I love the action in this. No one does the enforcers like Ditko does the enforcers. And I love the enforcers when they're Ditkos. Bendis and um, what's his name? Um, Bagley. Bagley. Yeah, Bendis and Bagley would do the enforcers for Ultimate Spider-Man. Hmm. And... They're all right, but it's more of a, it's more of a, these guys aren't actually that great. They just think that they're that great, but they never do that well against Spider-Man kind of thing. Uh Uh-huh. So he sort of plays with that idea a bit more, but I do like the enforcers. They're visually very cool. They are. I don't know how I was trying to describe, especially Ox just reminds me of a character in like, you know, I don't know, a Garfield strip or something. Cause he doesn't Mm -hmm. really have, he doesn't have a lot of facial detail he doesn't even have eyes really he is um he's the guy on the playground in calvin and Hobbes. yeah that's exactly it yep he's funny yeah 
looking anyway. He doesn't really crack a lot of jokes, but <laughs> um, Flash is a good guy sometimes. Hey, yeah, I liked that part where he pulls Peter aside because Peter starts intentionally talking crap about the enforcers and Flash is like, um, dude, the enforcers are no joke. They will come after you. And of course, Peter has to be schmarmy and I didn't know you cared. Right. Instead Which reinforces like, our you know, reason that yeah. Flash picks on Peter because Peter's actually kind of a jerk. Yes. And I'm running out of thoughts on this. Um, well, the second half's just a really awesome, big, long fight. So Yeah, it is a really awesome, big, long fight. You had difficulties describing what he does with the light there on page 18. Yes, I did. I forgot. Well, it's because the vectors with the light don't actually work. Um, okay, so what does he do? There. What well, does he... T- he attaches he some webbing to it and just like... To what? To his spider light. Okay, so the light is on his belt buckle or something? Yeah, that's right. It is his belt buckle. He takes it off the belt buckle. He attaches some webbing to it. I guess he throws it while holding on to the webbing, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe he just sticks some webbing to the back of it to make it sticky. Yes, that's what he did. And then it... I don't understand. He says bullseye, but it's floating in the air when he says bullseye. So that's why it's kind of confusing. Yeah. I guess what he really did is probably threw it and it stuck to a wall and shone down onto the street where the cops could see it. The thing that confuses it all is that bottom left panel. Yeah. If we didn't have that bottom left panel, everything else would make a lot more sense. Yeah. Or if that, yeah, if that blue empty blue space was actually a building wall, then it would work. Yeah. Um, And at the very end, Jonah actually wants proof. And I'm like, you know, good job, Jonah, wanting proof. <laughs> when it's against him? Yeah, he's like, I need more than a call now. I need proof that Spider-Man is the big man. And it's like, yeah, you, you should have started with that, but go for it. Of course, page 22, I've seen those three panels reprinted a lot, usually in essays or something, to talk mm-hmm. to talk about J. Jonah Jameson's character. So this is like the big, the big character moment. I don't know that he thinks about his hatred for Spider-Man very often. This was like the big one, the big time. Yeah, it... It's a good moment. It just feels a little bit like pop psychology. Well, and it's also very self-aware. In a way that I'm not entirely sure that Jonah is. He never strikes me as being very metacognitive. How can you say out loud, I hate this guy because he's too good, and then go around telling everybody how not good he is? Right. And constantly believing that he's not good. You know, you hate him because he is good. So why are you thinking he's not good? And our later retcon is actually that he saw problems in Spider-Man um, during his wrestling careers. He heard about, you know, letting the cop go by, he or letting the crook go by, mm. uh, but not with a security guard. He heard about, you know, some of the vigilante stuff he did. So it's the the feeling we've gotten from issue one that he sees Spider-Man doing stuff that you shouldn't be able to get away with and calling him out on it feels a lot more believable than... He just seems like a hero, and I can't be a hero, so I'm going to hate him and tear him down. <laughs> yeah, especially since we established that last issue that he's only doing it for money anyway, so Jameson's not wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, it seems obvious in retrospect because Fossil was the only kid character, like you said, but I didn't guess it on the first read. I mean, I was six at the time, but <laughs> I did not realize it until the end of the story. I think I... I got it as soon as I decided to get it, but I was reading it for a long while, not really thinking that I was supposed to care, you know? Right. And then towards the end, when it seemed like maybe they'll start revealing him, I thought to myself, okay, let's go back through the story. Was there anybody new that talked? Oh, that one guy. I bet he's the guy. Mm-hmm. And then he was the guy. 
Yeah. Because they could have kept Big Man a secret forever. I didn't know. Well, shall we uh, go into our next comic? You need other thoughts on Spider-Man? Spider-Man number 10. We've got 10 in the can. That's pretty cool. It doesn't end on a really explicit cliffhanger of dramatic action for the for the uh, hero, but definitely there is a wide open cliffhanger for our subplot that is going to lead directly into issue 11. And he's not happy. Yeah. He ends a lot not happy, which is which is unique to his title, I think. Um, but that is going to take us to the Fantastic Four 24. Quit stalling. <sighs> Have you covered this before? Um, no. No, I haven't. So um, there you go. I've read it for the Fantastic Cast back in the day, and I've read it to Lily, and I've read it for this, and I've read it probably once or two other times. Um, this well, was... It- <laughs> If you just had a better memory, you wouldn't have to read it so many times. Right. Yeah. Lovingly written by Stan Lee. Tenderly drawn by Jack Kirby. Heroically inked by George Bell. And neatly lettered by S. Rosen. Sam Rosen is our our letterer on all three of these comics. Mm. Um, The Infant Terrible. So, okay. (sighs) The Fantastic Four are doing some publicity stuff. Whenever there's a news story... That, that's breaking. So all the reporters leave the Fantastic Four, get their Fantastic car. They go to check it out and they fly into a baby bottle. Yep. So, okay. Um, they fly into a giant bottle in the sky and Torch has to break them out of it. All this weird, crazy stuff. Start, there's, there's a top. There's a, a giant toy robot. There's like millions of giant toy robots, like like army men. They're all green, marching through the city. They're like, oh my gosh, is this an invasion? Um, there's this weird green alien creature walking through the streets of Manhattan, and all the toys just disappear. Um, weird stuff is happening, like like weird stuff where um, lamp posts are turning into trees and fruits and everything else. Um, there's this. Uh, I don't even know. Basically, long story tolerable, this is an infant alien who has really powerful mental abilities. So some crooks coerce him into helping them. They give him ice cream. He's a baby. He likes ice cream. Um, (laughs) The Fantastic Four are... Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) They're annoyed... (laughs) Um, the crooks have the baby help them get the money, but then, um, the money sacks grow wings and fly away. One of the money bags turns into a pig. A giant diamond turns into an egg with a bird inside of it. The fantastic four stop the bad guys. They're trying to figure out what to do with the alien. Cause the alien can do all this stuff. He turns, he makes giant rock monsters. He like puts them in a bubble and floats them through the sky. He uh, catches them up in a, in a, in a whirlwind and fly. There's all this crap, and at the end, the mommy and daddy alien show up and take the bad alien, bad baby alien away. Um, oh, and Alicia almost dies. The end. So at the end of our shows, after they're over, sometimes John and I will like look at the schedule and what's going to happen, and we look at what we're going to read in the future. And it always sticks out in my mind when he like sighs angrily over something he's going to have to read, because John loves to love things. Uh-huh. Which means whenever you don't love something, I don't know why it just amuses me to all heck because that's just so rare. This is one of those things that 
he told me he didn't like before I even read it. And also, for some reason, every time you tell me you don't like something and I read it, I don't hate it. I don't know. Okay. I don't know if it's re- reverse psychology or I'm stubborn or I don't know what it is. But I didn't hate Spider-Man and Human Torch. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. Um, and this was fine to me. I don't know. I didn't hate the Impossible Man either. <laughs> Maybe you don't like impossible things. Maybe. So you've got Tales of Suspense, right? <laughs> yeah i don't know like okay so here's the thing like the alien (laughs) reminds me of first incarnation majin buu you're running that stuff dragon ball um well okay so i'm watching dragon ball z right now okay well he kind of reminds me of that just sort of like ridiculously powerful but knave at the same time you know i haven't gotten to the boo saga yet we are currently fighting frieza who has just reached his final form oh you got a ways to go then i guess yeah but uh did you yeah. know that frieza never says this isn't even my final form no is that something he's supposed to have said well like he goes through the transformations right and he mm-hmm. and there's like this this saying you fools this isn't even my final form which he oh. never actually says. It's just one of those things that he says that he never actually says. I feel like there's a few of those things out there. Like I beam me up, Scotty? Yeah, like beam me up, Scotty. So speaking of Star Trek, this is also just someone read this and wrote the Squire of Gothos, apparently. Squire of Gothos and Charlie X. And Charlie X. Even more so Charlie X in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I feel like revealing that... I feel like it's more Charlie X because we know the whole time he's a child. The uh-huh. Squire of Gothos is like a reveal at the end that he's a child. And yeah. I feel like almost – well, no, because the plot as it's laid out wouldn't have worked unless they knew he was a child because they exploit that. Um, yeah, because Reed calls the parents. Yeah, Reed calls the parents. And the, cri- the crooks get him because they figure they can coerce a kid. Okay, so what I like about it is, one, it's the Fantastic Four. So it's always drawn well and the characters are always – good interacting with each other and there's always good like funny moments that you know the thing says the thing will say something that just makes me laugh okay that's always a given with these things even when it's a bad story but i also like that the fantastic four shouldn't always be about a villain of the week because that's not necessarily their jam you know they're like they're like marvel's first family and scientists and stuff like that so like a a tantruming baby that's ruining new york is is a good villain for them versus say the Avengers, because it's the fantastic four. That's the stuff they should be dealing with is kind of bonker stuff like this. Um, and I also like that they have no ability to defeat this baby. And mostly what they do is play, uh, you know, uh, referee to the stupid mobster guys, um, and then get caught themselves. And, you know, Reed saves the day, which is kind of their thing. So, I don't know. It was better than another Doctor Doom story where he has a room full of things that attack them and then he seemingly dies again. You're not wrong. It's at least more interesting than that in in some respects. Yeah. I actually did have one continuity note to write down. Okay. On page eight, panel four, she has to consciously focus on staying invisible, which is Ah. weird because at times in the past, she's gotten surprised and accidentally turned invisible. Yeah, that's a good point. So she's not consistent. Right. I can understand consciously focusing on staying invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand as well the it's a toggleable switch and I get surprised accidentally to toggling it to the other setting. Um, well, the other way you could look at it is it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. Turn invisible when you're startled. 
but, but she's also been she's also been startled back into visibility, so she gets startled both ways. I know. And it's, yeah, so it's not working. It's it's not consistent. Yeah. It's like a bunch of different writers or something. Uh, Except that it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. I like that the baby doesn't cooperate with the money people. That was funny to me. That was funny. Um, turning it into pigs or a diamond into an egg or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, it's fine I mean, that you like it. I just it's not like the greatest FF iconic thing of all time. It's a throwaway story that no one will ever revisit. I imagine. I, I remember fu- reading it with Lily whenever she mm-hmm. was like I don't know eight or nine, mm-hmm. eight probably seven or eight actually, and um, we came away from it saying, "Wow, that really was the infant terrible." <laughs> yeah, okay, they- but here here's the thing though: the linguist in me is going to grant for a second. Okay. Um, other languages put words in orders that are completely natural, just different. So whenever French says l'enfant terrible, uh-huh. it's not the infant terrible. It's the terrible infant in the order of words that makes sense in French. So you would translate that as the terrible infant, the terrible child. Uh-huh. You would not call it the infant terrible. That's What did Ben call it, though? Didn't he translate it into English? Um, I'm trying to find what page that was now. Maybe it's things bad English that. <sighs> That's what I was trying to find out. If maybe they're naming this, they're naming this story after the things stupid dialogue. Dang, where the heck was it? Because Reed calls him that first in French. Ah, uh, I hate when I can't find something fast. Right. There's too many words in this. Comparing him to the Molecule Man was a good call because I mean he really is that level of power. An infant, of course. That's the answer. It has to be. That's on page nine. Wow. Am I just making that up in my head? Did it not Boy, happen? Boy, I never thought the old FF would find themselves up against a terrible infant, but that's the way the mop flops, huh? Oh. That's the bottom of page 10. Okay, so he called it a terrible infant, too. So, yeah, it's just a terrible title, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it more than I did. That... that <laughs> I, I like when other people like things. If I don't like it and I find out other people like yeah. it, that makes me happy too. Yeah. But I don't have a lot to say about it. Okay. Well, Scarecrow time? Yeah. Okay. Shoot. That means I have to do some work again. Let's see. Uh-huh. I forgot about that part. So we're still on the ninth, right? Yeah. The mm-hmm. ninth. And now I have to read from the title page instead of Mike's Amazing World just to see what it says. Written by Stan When Does He Sleep Lee. Illustrated by Don When Does He Eat Heck. And lettered by Art, when will he learn to spell Smek? So they don't, they don't even wait before they start razzing on the on the letterers. This is the first month they have done these titles and is already rag on Artie Semek time. Because <laughs> he does everything. Uh, it's called Face to Face with the Scarecrow. And it starts out with Iron Man flying around for no reason. So very reminiscent of a an opening Thor story, really. And he comes across a guy trying to... Uh, rob by gunpoint the uh, you know the box at a theater. Is that what those are called? Like the, the ticket yeah, box, the ticket box, ticket ticket window or something, where they have the cash. And the guy's like, "Yoinks! This is bad luck for me. It's Iron Man!" And runs into the theater. Iron Man chases after him, but the theater tonight is a contortionist guy, and he thinks to himself, "Hey, if I could stop this bad guy before Iron Man, people will think I'm cool." So he rolls himself up into a cannonball-like shape and knocks the dude over. Iron Man says, wow, it's a good thing you're on my side of the 
Wah, pal. They high five. Iron Man walks away, not knowing that he's just created a villain. Because the guy's thinking to himself, yeah, what if I wasn't on his side? With my cannonball-shaped contortionism, I too can be a bad guy. So he's walking home, thinking about what kind of bad guy he wants to be. He sees a scarecrow costume, breaks the window, steals it, then thinks that his co-worker or fellow you know, performer on the same bill, I guess does something with crows. Uh, so he steals those, these well-trained crows, and decides to uh, rob stuff. And what's the best thing to rob? How about Tony Stark's apartment? Because he's rich. So anyway, speaking of Tony, we cut to his office where this, you know, blonde of the week is trying to get in for their date. And Pepper tells her, lies to her, and says that Tony's not in. So she storms off mad at Tony. Tony then comes out and says, hey, have you seen my blonde of the week? And she says, nope, haven't seen her. So she lies to both sides. Tony's kind of suspicious, though. Uh, Has Happy drive him home. This is the first time Happy's actually fulfilled his job requirements since his first (laughs) appearance. (laughs) You're not wrong. That's right. And uh, when they get home, it's ransacked. And there's a scarecrow-looking guy with, like, three or four vultures flying around him. Um, Happy tries to beat the guy, but he's a super contortionist and just he does his easy body flip. But while that's going on, Tony turns to Iron Man. The scarecrow says, oh, Iron Man, I heard you were uh, Tony Stark's personal bodyguard. Yes, that's right. Wink. And they start fighting. Um, but... The Scarecrow defeats Iron Man by throwing like a tarp or some drapery on him and then having the crows like tie him up. It doesn't last long, but it lasts long enough to where the crows go out the window. Iron Man assumes the Scarecrow did also, flies after them, but the Scarecrow is really still in his apartment. He ransacks it, finds some files, uh, escapes from Happy Hogan, who just woke up to try and fight him again, Uh, goes home. Figures out the files are some awesome transistor invention thing. He's going to sell them to the Reds. Uh, He calls Tony and says, oh, no. He's like, I'm going to sell these to the Reds. He calls Tony. I'm going to sell these to the Reds if you don't give me billions of dollars or something like that. Um, So Tony goes to meet him as Tony. Before he goes to meet him, though, he puts a transistor or a magnet or something in the briefcase full of money. The Scarecrow has the crows take the briefcase and then decides he's going to sell it to the reds anyway jumps on a boat to to uh uh, uh, i was going to say fly but that's not what boats do to zoom zoom or sail it's not really sail either i don't know what they do travel to cuba uh iron man follows because he's got briefcase armor he fights the cubans he uses the magnet in the suitcase to pull back the money and i think the files too maybe at this point i don't know he drills a hole in their boat so they sink and are left for dead and the scarecrow has his crows tow him away to safety iron man is like running out of juice at this point so he just boats back um and when he gets back he tells pepper that he's got these two tickets to this theater thing is she interested she's like i'll be i'll bet you bet i am hot boss man and he's like good happy why don't you take her and she's like do And then it cuts to uh, the Scarecrow who survived and is stuck on an island all by himself, like thinking about how he's going to return. Yes. Yes. And another character that uh, we don't actually find out how he returns. (laughs) Well, this one, at least he's not in like the quantum realm or something. 
This is true. This is true. He probably just uses a boat or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he his his birds towed him there to begin with. Because he's going to be actually with the porcupine in that Count Nefaria story in the X-Men 22 and 23. Oh, it's probably related how they return then. Uh, he and porcupine and the plant man. And I feel like there's one more. I feel like there are four guys. Hmm. Um, but they're all just like, you know, these these weird Silver Age. We would today call them like C or D list villains. But I guess they're probably B list in the Silver Age. I don't know. I, like, I don't know. I I know of Marvel's Scarecrow. I think I've read maybe one. I think he was the villain in like a Captain America Ghost Rider crossover mm-hmm. or something like that. Which I swear he had powers in that, but I could be wrong. Um, so, yeah, I didn't know his origin. It seems really slapped together. Yeah. Um, now, I f- when I was first starting to collect comics as a kid, some of the first Batman comics that we bought – were that trilogy of issues that end with Tim Drake being given the Robin costume, which leads into the first Robin miniseries. Okay. And that trilogy of issues features the Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. So our first exposure to Batman comics was a really cool Scarecrow story mm-hmm. where Batman is actually captured and overpowered and isn't going to be able to save himself. And Robin, the new Robin comes and saves the day. So whenever I found out there was a Marvel Scarecrow, my first question was, well, what about the timing? Okay, yeah. Uh, now, I asked Keenan about this, and um, he thought uh, that, yes, Bruce and Tony are both rich, so they probably both have a lot of farms, so they probably both have scarecrows. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and this went into like this lengthy compare and contrast between Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark that was actually, he made a lot more good points on that than I expected him to. Um, but Tony yes, Stark and Bruce Wayne are very much alike. They really, my, really are. In my opinion. Without the tragic death of the parents thing. But um, actually oh, yeah. still a little bit of that, though, because Tony did lose his parents in a weird way. Uh, they just don't you know, dr- use that to drive the, the story. Batman had not fought the Scarecrow since the 1940s at this point. So okay. Marvel's Scarecrow is not a ripoff of the Batman villain. No, and a Scarecrow in general is a con- concept also, that's been around. Also, the motifs are completely different. Yeah, I mean... A scarecrow isn't really re- original to DC either. Right, right. Um, he's not using fear or anything like that that is, is is associated with the DC scarecrow. He's using the contortion thing, which reminds me of the Wizard of Oz scarecrow. And he's using the actual, you know, crows. Oh, when was the Wizard of Oz? Oh, like turn of the century. The movie okay. was in the 1930s or 40s. The uh, book is 1914, maybe. Well, I was thinking the movie because nobody reads, but... Um yeah, forties. I was just wondering if this if this guy was inspired by that at all, but that's twenty years earlier. So, yeah, um, the movie was made whenever color movies were really cool. Yeah, like I just thought, I feel like he just you know I'm a contortionist. Okay, oh there's a scarecrow costume. Okay, oh I know some guy with like crows that put Ant Man's ants to shame. Okay, now right. I got a now I got a shtick. Like there's no real like driving force. No, he's like this. oh wait I could be a criminal as a contortionist. As you're right. Okay, I think I'll do that now. Yeah. Got nothing else to do on a Sunday. No obsession with a scarecrow as an identity or anything. Right. I love that opening scene, Iron Man does all that flying. You know, it's cool to see Iron Man flying because he Mm -hmm. doesn't... Actually, before this issue, I don't remember seeing him doing it a whole lot. Um, But I'm also visualizing the dynamics of a flying Iron Man from the films. Uh And he's in a movie theater, just like zooming around in this. And that would not work. Well, it looks like he can't quite outrun the guy, so he must be flying real slow. Slow enough to not hold himself up in the air, maybe? I don't know. I don't know either, yeah. Yeah, in the movies, he like he's either 
horizontal because he's going fast or he's vertical and sort of just hovering. Mm-hmm. So there's no real like, uh, you know, going two miles an hour for him. But do you remember the um, the opening? Not the opening, but the scene, in the first Iron Man film where he sleeps with the reporter the next uh, morning. Pepper kind of tells her off. Uh huh. I was reminded of that whenever she was telling off the blonde in this. Like, it's not really the same kind of scene, but it's the same kind of Pepper. She's like, Pepper Potts still doing Tony Stark's dirty work or something. He's like, yes, I do everything for Mr. Stark, including sometimes taking out the trash. Exactly. That Pepper yeah. is the Pepper we get in this issue. Mm-hmm. Except she's also being Weasley because she just basically ruined his date. Yeah. I mean, the motivations are um, less. less. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're right. Now I'm noticing she has no uh, freckles anymore. She's just kind of normal looking. Yeah, they've they've dolled her up, which, you know, like we said last time, I guess if you're going to be a love interest in a comic book, you have to be pretty. And I also noticed, I don't know if I would have noticed anyway, but yeah, Happy is just Sourpuss guy now, which is just so weird. Right. And in, on page five, he's like, wonder how he got that name. It's like, you do know how he got that name. You talked about it in issue 45. <laughs> Yeah. And this wasn't why he got the name. Yeah. He even talks about it in this issue, too, sort of, when he says that he got kicked out of boxing for – or he couldn't do boxing because he's too nice. But he can beat up Scarecrow. He can beat up Scarecrow. Well, he thought he could, but he He didn't. tried really hard. He tried really hard. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Anything? I think this is our first reference to Iron Man being Stark's bodyguard. I was going to ask you that. I thought so, too. So there we go. The Scarecrow set up that idea. Iron Man, I heard that Stark kept you around as a bodyguard like right. before, they, before they were friends. We've never heard of Iron Man being Stark's bodyguard, but I guess the Scarecrow has. So if you want to get to Iron Man, kids, just attack Tony Stark and all his friends. And Iron Man will just show up. Yeah, good thing he has that secret identity. So the Scarecrow is heading out to be the Cuban communists, and I'm like, flashback to the chameleon story. Yeah. Which also had the chameleon on a boat heading out to meet the Russians. Not the Russians, just the communists. Um, I guess that was probably a Russian sub though, because it had the hammer and sickle on the sub. Whereas this is just, the, this is specifically the Cuban communists. Yeah. Sometimes they're pretty generic about, you know, what reds we're dealing with, but this right. case, they, they straight up say Cuba. And they refer to the bearded one, <coughs> Castro. <clears throat> uh, yeah. I'm surprised they, why can't they just say Castro? Cause they're going to get in trouble if they do that. Yeah. They seem to really dodge that. They don't, they don't want to say Khrushchev. They say uh, Leader K, um, Captain K, man. Uh, and they say, you know, the bearded one, they, they show pictures of them. They can do depictions of the characters, but um, they can actually a, call them by name. Was that a print rule at the time, maybe, or something? Because they, they can do it now. Yeah, they can. And they've done it before. Certainly Hitler was Hitler. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because there, there were some comics in the Golden Age that would not refer to Hitler directly. They would like change his name mm. to all sorts of, you know, small changes like Hilter to more significant changes like, you know, Hexler and, and stuff like that. So maybe they're worried, worried about retaliation or something. I don't know, but who are they fooling anyway? Yeah. I think it's maybe one of those things where, you know, who we're talking about, we know who we're talking about. So we're just not going to say his name because it's an actual real person. But then later, like Marvel's known for like their president's, actually being the real presidents and stuff, not made up characters. So I guess they get over, I guess they get over that idea. Sometimes they are. Well, yeah. By the eighties. DC has used Reagan and DC has used JFK and DC has used Clinton, but DC has not used anybody since Clinton. 
Whereas Marvel, I know it at least did Obama. I don't know if they've done Trump yet, but I'm pretty yeah. sure they did Obama. Well, Obama know. has the distinguishing characteristic of being the only black male president we've ever had. So if during Obama's administration you have a president who is a black male, if you don't say his name, we just automatically assume it's Obama because it's the you know distinguishing characteristic. Yeah. If we had had you know half of our presidents be black men over the course of our history, then it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. I feel like there was an Obama Spider-Man story or a comic where Obama's like changing into Spider-Man or something like that. You're right. Maybe. There was an Obama Spider-Man story. I was thinking of actually in my head, I was thinking of a Thunderbolt story where that had Norman Osborn reporting to the president. Uh-huh. And it was not. It was not specifically stated to be Obama, but like I said, he was a black guy. Yeah. So it has to be. Well, it doesn't have to be. They could have made somebody up, but what's the point? Right. Right. Um, um, yeah. So not a whole lot else except that at the end of the issue. Stark kind of sets up Pepper and Happy. And later on, their relationship is going to give him a lot of angst and frustration because he's going to start to like Pepper. And he's sort of setting up that problem right now a little bit. Yeah, she says, uh, but just wait. He'll be sorry. I might even grow to like Happy. Right. Yeah. And yeah, that's 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 where things are going. Yep. That's okay. He'll date somebody else. He will. Uh, or, according to yeah. what we learned from Van Plexico, actually, uh, you know, Pepper and Happy fade into the woodwork for a while. Mm-hmm. So well, right now they're still pretty much caricatures. So I don't know. The, yeah, they have a little bit of character to their bones, but there are a lot of a lot of shorthand characterizations. You're right. Yeah, but they're kind of the only like uh, supporting cast we have. Other than most things are relationship related. I guess Pepper is too, kind of, but. Um, yeah. I know what you mean, though. Uh, Peter has a supporting cast, and Tony has a supporting cast. Thor's supporting cast is Asgard. Or Jane. Well, Jane is a love interest. Like you said, there's yeah, a love yeah. interest, but as far as other characters, it's just the Asgardians. Yeah, and Giant Man and Wasp have each other. They uh, support each other. The Fantastic Four is literally just them. Yeah. And the but- X-Men are just them with the with the Professor. And Spidey, like Spidey, what his supporting cast is his aunt, so does that count? And a love interest. And everything else is antagonism. Well, yeah, Jonah's his boss. Yeah, but he hates him. And and he has the he has the the schoolmates. He has a cast of characters that Peter Parker identifies with. He doesn't really have like a Harry Osborn yet, though, you know? Yeah. Like 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 Tony and Happy are not romantically involved in any way. They're just friends. I guess employment. Ah, I don't know. Jokes on you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't read that issue yet. (laughs) That's why they call him Happy Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he looks so sour. That's why. Um, Well, Tony's just not very reciprocal. That's all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, moving along. Uh, Watcher? Speaking of of voyeurism. Speaking of, yeah. So, instead of the Wasp, we have the Watcher telling stories they had laying around. He introduces himself as the Watcher. Then they don't do a cool thing on this one, but it's story by Stan Lee with art by Larry Lieber and inks by Bell and lettering by Rosen. And this was this was kind of just as lame as the other one. Um, None of these have been great, to be honest, I don't think. But uh, it's another future story. There's one brother who's like into cars or something and makes a lot of money. And you can tell because he smokes a big cigar. And then he's got – there's another brother who's all about this – having this job of searching space for like intelligent life. He finds a lot of life. 
but doesn't find any intelligence in them. And so I guess that's not good enough for this mission. And they give him one last chance, the government. It's like, if you don't find someone that's smarter than us, we're scrapping this. So he goes to this planet. He finds what looks like primitive people. They try, the chief tries to give him a block of wood. He's like, good gravy, wood, seriously. Fine, let's go home. The guy goes home. He caves and decides to work for his brother, who couldn't be more happy because his brother can only understand money and people who want money. So now his little brother is more lovable because he's going to work for him. But meanwhile, the watcher then tells us, oh, if only he had actually taken that piece of wood because it's actually a plaque. And the plaque says, this plaque awarded to Dogmar Arcor, I'm, I'm cheating and reading here a little bit, inventor of the cobalt antimatter bomb. This marks the peak of man's civilization. At long last, war is too horrific even to think of. Um, and I guess the lesson there is that maybe they had another war anyway and wiped out the planet and now they're back to being primitive. I'm not really sure if that's what they were suggesting. But the point is there was proof on that piece of wood that he didn't take that someone was more advanced than humans right yeah Eh. it's imperialism and warmongering but ends up showing how both can be bad so it's you know not a bad point just not a great story i feel like he had he made that point already yeah yeah he likes to make points and jan likes to make um craziness or something (laughs) like all her stories just end randomly and weird and watcher likes to make points about how humans are probably going to kill themselves I like the Watcher's house, though. Yeah, yeah. We get like an outside view. It looks pretty cool. And he's like chilling in his chair. Doesn't look like the house we've seen. No, I don't think anything about the Watcher's design is consistent from issue to issue. Mm -hmm. It's not in the blue area of the moon either. It's not even in the pink area of the moon. Back out in the back where Roger the Watcher (laughs) lives. Maybe he has lots of houses. Maybe he does. You know, Uatu, my buddy, he's he's got lots of places he lives. He's got a summer house. He's got a winter house. He's even got a a house for the fifth season that Earth doesn't even know about yet. So, you know. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, you really should have done that. Fourth fourth (laughs) podcast for you. You Um, should do Roger the Watcher and cover DC. That'd be funny. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Don't tempt me. What are you doing? (laughs) All right, so um, I guess that's, that's it. it. We are done and with 63. So we have our likes and dislikes to report. So just a review of what all we have done in December of 1963. We have Journey into Mystery 101. Zarko the Tomorrow Man launches us on the Kirby run uh, properly this time. Mm-hmm. We have... A giant man trapped by the porcupine where the wasp gets to do jack all in Tales to Astonish 53. Mm-hmm. We have Amazing Spider-Man 10 with the big man and the enforcers. We have the Fantastic Four 24 with um, the terrible story of the infant. We have Strange Tales 118 where we have both the Human Torch and the Return of the Wizard who masquerades as the torch. And we have Doctor Strange... Versus the green possessing aliens. Mm-hmm. And finally, our sixth comic is Tales of Suspense 51, which is this bad boy right here. Iron Man versus the wa- uh, Scarecrow. Ooh, Iron Man versus the Wasp would be super cool. I was going to say Iron Man versus the Watcher. Oh, that'd be super cool, too. Short fight, but pretty cool. Um, well, I know my least favorite immediately is yeah? 
Strange Tales 118. And I'm not going to even say it's that bad. It just felt really repetitive from what we've To clarify, read. that's the Torch story in it, right? Torch story. Oh, yeah. Not the Doctor Strange story. Has Doctor Strange won yet at all? No. Okay. My uh, my least favorite is going to be the Fantastic Four 24. That's just craziness. Okay. That's a medium medium for me. Medium with, uh, you know, Thor, Iron Man, Porcupine. Uh, I am actually torn. Really? On my favorite. Interesting. Um, and I don't know if I'm actually torn or if I just feel like I'm torn, but Thor was really good. And yeah. Thor really entertained me. And it was a quick read. It hit all the right notes. The only thing that Thor didn't have is actually Jane Foster in the book. Uh huh. Just a flashback. Um, right. I think I am going to go with Amazing Spider Man 10. Because of the really cool Betty dynamics, and I do like the visual dynamics of the fight with the enforcers and the the mob. Um, the mystery of the identity of the big man is going to set up a trope for Spider-Man comics that still continues to this day. Mystery villains and protracted, and, and they'll drag it out. They'll, when we get to Green Goblin, of course, is the first drawn out mystery. But the 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 not knowing who the bad guy is is a big thing in Spider-Man comics. Yep. Ditto. Amazing Spider-Man 10 for me also. It's pronounced Ditko. <laughs> Ditko. And, you know, even the bit where we kind of like didn't love it, the uh, self-realization of J. Jonah Jameson, it was a good three panels of art. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of a classic scene in a way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Spider-Man again. Two months in a row or two uh, episodes in a row for me. Or maybe not. I guess two uh Two times in a row when it was available. I'm looking over our numbers to make sure that these are actually most commons and not just one of two most commons. Because it'll do that in Excel. If you have a tie, it'll just pick one. I don't know know how it decides which one to pick. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So what I have is I have what we have each chosen most for most and least enjoyed. And then what together our, 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 our biggest choice was for each category. Okay. So, do you want to do uh, bottoms or tops first? You get to pick. Bottom. All right. Go ahead. I disliked the torch more than any other single thing. Well, you're not wrong. Surprisingly, my second most common pick for this year was the Fantastic Four. Wow. No way. See, I shouldn't say it like that because for all I know, I'm in the same boat. I have no idea. Well, I say that I put, I chose fantastic Four three months out of the year. I also chose Thor three months out of the year. Okay. So those are, those are together. My two, you know, second most common picks, but torch is top. Um, your least enjoyed character this year was Thor. Really? Wow. Uh-huh. You know why? Cause Kirby left and it was just horrible for a long time. Yeah. But half the months out of the year, six months out of the year, you chose <laughs> Thor. six times. Wow. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> think of those plots. There were some bad ones. Yep. Yep. There indeed there were. So together between the two of us, though, um, the most commonly disliked character was Thor. Okay. We'll see. That'll be interesting to, to do next year then now that Kirby's back and see if that fixes everything. Right. Now, just to compare that with last year, our most commonly disliked in 1962 was the Ant-Man. Oh, um, you and I both had a tie. We had Ant-Man uh, tied. You was tied for Thor. I was tied for 
um, torch. Hmm. But between the two of us, our most commonly picked one was Ant-Man. Okay. Okay. So going into most loved, most enjoyed comics of the year, uh, it's no surprise. It was a little bit less common for you, but your top pick was Spider-Man. Yep. Figured. And my top pick was uh, uh, Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, my top pick was Spider-Man by a wide margin. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven months of the year. Oh, what was me? I didn't even pick anything else twice. Uh, there, each of the other five was as. I'm sorry. Go ahead. How many times did I pick it? Uh, one, two, three, four. Okay. So it's your most commonly picked, but it was not most of the year. It was four months out of the year. Okay. Um, you chose uh, you chose Iron Man a couple times and mm-hmm. the Fantastic Four a couple times, and then some other random. Actually, Fantastic Four you chose three times. Okay. So, but you chose Spider Man four. So, of course, between the two of us, Spider Man is by far the most commonly chosen. Now, last year it was definitely the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, I tied between the Fantastic Four and Ant Man. You were just straight of the Fantastic Four. But I remember it was weird last year because I disliked Ant Man and liked Ant Man top. It was tied for top in both categories. Well, I do feel like right now Spider Man and Fantastic Four are the books to beat. Mm hmm. Every week, every month, so yeah, they really kind of makes sense. Is that our I'm, second choice, Fantastic Four, or no? Um, probably Fantastic Four is a. Um, actually, I did not pick the Fantastic Four as my top a single month out of the year. Wow, that's crazy. Looking back on yeah, it, yeah, that is a little nuts. Um, the Hulk number six, that last issue of the Hulk was January. Um, the first issue of Sergeant Fury. Um, there was an Ant-Man story, maybe one of the last Ant-Man stories. Um, so I don't I, know if you can count this and not to put you on the spot, but which books are getting no love or, or hate, you know, like right. what are just middle of the road books must be Ant-Man now. Okay, Iron Man. So, um, I'm looking for Ant and Giant Man. Neither one of us has said Ant-Man or Giant Man since May. Okay. Um, since he turned into Giant Man, we haven't said Jack yeah. all about him. Well, that's deserved. <laughs> um, let's see. Iron Man has gotten a little bit of love. Sergeant Fury. I put Sergeant Fury 1 uh, down. We both put I've... Sergeant Fury 1 down as our favorite that month. I don't think. Oh, I did? Okay. I was just about to yeah. say, I don't think I've ever picked him, but I guess I did. I think the other books were a little crap that month. We both picked Sergeant Fury um Doctor Strange has not been a top or a bottom. Yeah, but to be fair, he's only like three pages, so it's hard to pick him. Right. And we have not yet chosen the Avengers, but to be fair, they've only had three issues. And we will next episode. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or that month, anyway. Yeah. Well, um, let's see. Is it the next? No, we've got two more episodes. Two episodes from now, we have kind of a special episode coming up. Okay. Um so we are getting to a very special debut that Mike and I, especially Mike, but also I, have been looking forward to. And we're going to handle it a little bit differently on episode 45. Um, but before that, we're going to bring in some other stories from January of 1964. Yeah. All right. So Spider-Man's the is the top dog for us right now. Spider-Man is the top dog right now for us. And uh, Thor... Like you said, it's going to be interesting now that he's Kirby, but that pre-Kirby Thor run is the ball sack. 
<laughs> well, I have a feeling even with Kirby, Thor is not going to do the drama like Spider-Man does. So probably not, but they'll pull uh, it out of the bottom. We'll pull it, you know, we'll see. All right. And, and just in general, least enjoy does not have to mean bad. No, but, 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 but <laughs> like actually just this month, even though I quickly picked strange tales, it wasn't cause it was horrible. It was just done already. And I don't think any of these books were that bad. Even the terrible one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I dogged on the infant terrible more than you did, but the rest of them I didn't really dislike, except I kind of breezed through the, the wizard story. Cause like you said, it'd been, it'd been done. It was all just kind of run of the mill. Kind of feel like the last months prior had much worse stuff going on. Like, I don't know. Now I can't even remember them. The top and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Iron Man versus the angel. Iron oh. thing versus human torch. And, you know, like we were having some dog months, I felt like. And this December felt okay to me. Yeah. That Iron Man versus the angel was bad news. Yeah. Um, that's the one of two times I put Iron Man in the bottom spot. You've only put Iron Man in the bottom spot once. <laughs> I've been enjoying the I'm Iron Man. I'm pretty sure it was the same time I put him in the bottom spot. And that was that Gargantus issue. Mm-hmm. Iron Man's decent. I'm surprised because, you know, like I've said, growing up, I didn't like Iron Man. So it's interesting. Shall we uh, thank some people for being along for the ride? Yeah. All right. Well, we have gotten some follows on the Twitter. Want to say hello to, hey, Nana. Nana reads comics. Um, She just recently started following us. She has kind of a, a light Twitter account. She hasn't done a whole lot on Twitter yet. Maybe she's just playing with it and heard our show and liked us. But Nana, we want to thank you for uh, following us along. We have Sudolis Forty Tudolis. Um, that's an interesting name. At PSEU four two, math and science teacher, and a curler, and a decent cook, and a an intermittently enthusiastic birder. A curler? Yeah, like curling. Did he say curl? I thought he said curl. What's a curl? C U R L, like like. I'm, I'm guessing sorry. the game. Oh, I, just- I was trying to paraphrase Superman too. A oh, girl, I'm so a curl. It's <laughs> a curl, but too. I don't know what a curler is. Is that like a sport or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's a reference to curling, but I don't know. Okay. Uh, we have uh, speaking of French, Le Diable Blanc, which is at Get Metal, a dedicated fan of heavy metal and rock music, true believer in the Marvel universe, especially down for the Raging Cajun Gambit. Um, hey, Diable, I have some heavy metal in my opening. Um, theme song for all the pouches and image comics podcast. If you want to go check me out at, at all the pouches, uh, I have recently connected with another super sentai podcast, which I'm going to start listening to very soon because they're covering one of my next uh, watching projects. They are mostly speaking sentai join Nicole and James as they share their love for super sentai. Um, and it's at MSS pod. And they're starting out with a journey through die ranger which I know whenever I start speaking Japanese names, some people's brains just like, you know, start waiting till I'm done, which is fine. Um, but Die Ranger is the Japanese series that came on after the series that was turned into the first Power Ranger season. So you have Jew Ranger was turned into Power Ranger season one and Die Ranger was kind of sort of turned into Power Ranger season two. But the Japanese stuff is always more interesting anyway. That's just me. Um, we A little have- more consistent, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. We have, I'm not sure if I'm saying this tonight right, um, Ronnie Moore Vieira. Um, he's in, He. I don't know where this is, Bahia? 
Is it Rone Morbiera? Is it is his Spanish based? I'm not sure. It's an interesting name. Well, between and, the two of us, you're supposed to know that, not me. Right. And Stephen Wise at Keystone Kid. Only the E is a three. So thank you all very much for following us on the Twitter. That is probably where I put most of the output for the show is on the Twitter. But I'm also over on Facebook. We are also over on Facebook. And we have gotten likes from just a couple of people. Namely, um, I think I mentioned Gunnar Lahofer last time and John Tubbising. So I think as we're recording this, John just liked us this morning. So welcome to us over on Facebook. And um, hope you are enjoying the show. And let me just throw on there. I just realized right now that I've never said this, but or maybe I have. But we're also on Google Plus, everybody. And uh, I've posted all 32 episodes as of this recording on there. And I'm pretty sure every single one was liked by the Hammer Strike. So thanks to him, too, even though he's the only one over there. Well, that is Gene Hendricks, our um, – yeah our Asgardian advisor and the mm-hmm. hammer strikes is a podcast that you should go listen to about geeky mm-hmm. things, not about, um, hammer films and not <laughs> about, about Thor. <laughs> Thor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but about uh, a plethora of other geeky topics that you should go check out the hammer strikes. All right. Um, where can they find us, Mike? Makearsmarvel.com. You can find the links to iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Android, uh, that's probably it. Or you could just press the play button on each post of the individual episodes. Uh, you can also mail us through the contact form or directly with podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And hopefully whatever player you use to play your podcast, you can just type our name in there and find us. I always wonder how people who are listening to us haven't already found us, but I'm happy to tell you where to do so anyway. You can also find me at my other two shows, which are at my website, johnreadscomics.com, which is graciously graciously hosted through Michael Kaiser's own um, online presence. So thank you very much, Mike. Um, so those are All the Pouches and Image Comics Podcast and uh, Super Silly Sentai, which is a commentary, audio commentary podcast for the early episodes of Super Sentai, specifically the Go Ranger series. I do those with my son. And... Um, I did just recently record the first issue of the max for all the pouches. And as this comes out, that episode is probably also recently out. So that has, um, coming out of podcasting retirement just for this show, my daughter, Lily Wilson is talking about the max with me on all the pouches. So I'm very excited to go through that series with her. So go give that a listen at johnreadscomics.com. And until then, And until the ox, you know, dies and is replaced by his brother who forgets he's the brother and talks and acts like he's the original ox. Make ours marvel. Marvel.